Hello and welcome to another edition of Best of Left Podcast. Today we have clips from The Daily Show, Rachel Maddow, Mike Malloy, The National Security Network, Keith Holberman, Randy Rhodes, Sam Cedar, and The Young Turks. a single narrative about Iraq. There's not a single security story. You can't even talk about Iraq, really, because the fact is that people can't move around. Things are different from place to place. Things are different depending on who you are and where you are and when you are. And with all those things, it's just, it's total chaos. You look back over the history of what's happened with Iraq and going into Iraq and things that Vice President Cheney has said at various points in time. And you contrast that to what um, people at the CIA were saying at various periods of time. You can see huge dichotomies there. General Petraeus is going to come next week and he's likely to say there's been a 75% drop in sectarian violence. Here's the reality. The reality is that sectarian violence is a nice little trick that they've used to essentially try to take a very small subsection of actual violence. Well, I think David Petraeus's report is not David Petraeus's report. Uh, it's going to be written by the White House. It's going to be edited by the White House. I think it's a political document, and I don't think you can see it in any other way. And I think that the key to understanding why it's a political document is this debate that we're having now about statistics. shot from in front in the head, that's considered crime or murder. If you get shot from in the back of the head, that's considered sectarian violence. So they're using all these things to essentially play with the numbers. We actually have no idea how many Iraqis have been killed. What I look at is not just whether or not deaths or violence or attacks are reduced in the small area in which U.S. forces are concentrated. I look for the broad trends around the country. And I don't think that the evidence is other than that, that violence has continued or perhaps even grown. As of August 30th, 2007, the Iraqi government had met three, partially met four, and did not meet 11 of the 18 benchmarks. Overall, key legislation has not been passed, violence remains high, and it is unclear whether the Iraqi government will spend the $10 billion in reconstruction funds it has allocated. The president has said repeatedly, when the Iraqis stand up, the Americans stand down. Your best judgment is that it's going to take at least three to four years for the Iraqi army to stand up in a way that all the American troops can stand down. Uh, I, think that's, uh, I think that's probably reasonable. It's no magic formula here. The administration looks at the Petraeus report as really their last opportunity to try and convince the American population that, no, there is a potential to salvage the situation there and also to validate the administration's overall strategy. Problem, of course, is the administration's strategy has changed multiple times since the fall of Saddam. When I think of Bush and I think of the Petraeus report, I actually think of it as already having served its purposes from the Bush administration's perspective, and that is they've kicked the ball down the field. It's bought them time. They don't want to talk about Iraq. They don't want to talk about the problems happening there. So every time new strife happens there, a new attack occurs, more American lives are lost, their default response has been, why don't we just wait for the Petraeus report? When all along, they know that they're going to write and shape that report. What it's going to say is, if we keep troops in a given area, a lot of troops in a small area, uh, we can achieve security in that area. Well, duh, of course we can. You know, the United States military, which is costing us half a trillion dollars, ought to be able to do that. That's not the issue. The issue is, why the hell are we there in the first place? This is politics. This is politics. And what's at stake is whether the American people say, well, you know, the administration is on the right course. We'll just let them do what they think needs to be done. And we'll make changes if we need to with the next president. Or whether the American public says, I don't buy it. I've looked at the national intelligence estimate, I've looked at the GAO report, 
I've looked at the government's own reporting, and I just don't have confidence that there's enough here to build on. We have to choose a different way. That's all going to be decided in September and October of this year. some improvements in some limited areas um, because our troops do a fantastic job wherever they are. Those are not improvements that are sustainable over, over any period of time without having a political solution in place. Having a large number of troops in Iraq in some ways hinders the political process there. The focus isn't on the politicians. What are they doing to solve our problems from an Iraqi perspective? It's actually on our troops. Our ambassador, Ryan Crocker, admitted in a moment of frankness in a Senate hearing that we were buying time for the Iraqis to do these political things, buying time with the lives of our troops. I don't think the lives of our troops are what we need to be spending here. The lives of our troops are far too important to be wasting them for the Iraqis' political reconciliation. At the level of 130,000, assuming that all of the surge troops are withdrawn, we will basically continue to stretch and strain and break our military and the equipment that they are using until we have a force that is not just a hollow army or a hollow Marine Corps, but is unable to defend the United States over the long term. So if something were to happen in North Korea, if something were to happen in Darfur, if something were to happen anywhere in the world, we would be stretched so thin and we would be hard-pressed to get anybody else to help us to deal with those problems. Senate will be having testimony from General Petraeus and Ambassador Ryan Crocker, who, by the way, is supposed to be our diplomat. He's supposed to be doing all the busy diplomatic work that everybody keeps saying. There's not going to be a military solution. It's going to be a political one. That would be Ryan Crocker's job. And uh, I don't see him, you know, doing that job because Petraeus sat there today and said, well, you know, if we had more, more political um, will, then maybe, you know, we could leave next summer, next summer. Saddest thing. I heard that, and I just said, that's it. That's the ballgame. That's his testimony. He's sticking to it. It's going to be next summer. That's. Uh, I thought he was going to come. Didn't you think he was going to come and he was going to ask for six more months? He's not going to ask for six more months. He's asking for a year. And after a year, guess what? That's not a troop withdrawal either. After a year, he's saying maybe the surge can end. After a year, the surge can end. He's not saying people can come home. Uh, in toto, he's not saying we'll have a withdrawal. He's not saying the war will be over. Because... Everybody understands that this president's only desire with regard to this war is to preserve this war, not to win this war, certainly not to lose this war, but to preserve it for the very next president to deal with because they don't know what they're doing. They have no idea what they're doing. And if you know, you sit there and you go, but he's the president. Of course, he knows what he's doing. Look around your company. Just have a little look around, look at the highest ranking guy in your company, look at the medium guy in your company, look at the low ranking guy, and just decide for yourself, does the, do the, do the higher ups, do the very high end in your company know what's really going on? Are they, are they giving the best advice about how you can accomplish your tasks, how you can accomplish your job? I bet you the answer is no. It's the same with this freaking government, which is run like a corporation, which is what George Bush said he would do. He told you he was going to run it like a corporation, and he has a really bad 21st century corporation that is in this business, whatever this business is, to steal, to just make the most money quarter to quarter, period, end of story. It's unbelievable what's going on. I, I just I can't believe what Petraeus is testifying to, that he says next summer, July 08, he might be able to suggest that the surge end. Well, 
you know, I got news for you. That's not a surge then, is it? It's a permanent escalation of this war so that they can preserve it for the next president. However, here is the real problem with Petraeus and his testimony today. His numbers are so cooked that I'd like to see Rachel Ray or anybody from the cooking channel present them because, I mean, there's nothing left to them. They've been cooked to death. And they actually, uh, the Republicans stood there and they smeared the entire left in this country. You know, MoveOn.org had this amazing ad in the paper. I don't know if you uh, had it in your paper. If you didn't, uh, it, 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 go to MoveOn.org. It's called Cooking the Books for the White House. And they stole my line, General Betrayus. That's what I, you know, yeah, so they, they called him General Betrayus or General Betrayus. Thank you. I'm glad you used it because I liked it too. I mean, that's why I said it. But so they have this big ad in the, in the in newspapers across the country today. And it obviously says Betrayus has been wrong before he was wrong on the weapons caches he didn't protect the weapons caches he uh he was wrong on uh you know we would be out of there really quickly he was wrong in 2004 when he said if we just have more troops give me 30,000 more could, he's just been wrong the guy has never been right and so they looked at the numbers he's presenting today where he's he's saying that there's been a 75% reduction in violence in Iraq and truly what came out in the Washington Post uh last week on the 6th of September was this little tidbit that the intelligence community is having its own problems with the military's calculation uh, because the intelligence analysts are computing lev aggregate levels of violence against civilians for the national intelligence estimate and they were puzzled over where the military was getting this information where Petraeus or Petraeus was getting this information and they looked at it very closely and one senior intelligence official said to the Washington Post well, here's what they're doing. Here's how they're getting to these 75% reduction in violence figures. If a bullet went through the back of the head, it's sectarian. And they count it. If the bullet goes through the front of the head, they say it's garden variety criminals activity and they don't count it. So apparently, sectarian killers are Sopranos fans. They whack you in the back of the head. And Iraq's got a really big crime problem, which means we should be sending in the police and a few CSI episodes and everything will be okay in Iraq because it's just crazy criminality. That's what's going on there. But this is really stunning that that's how they're parsing the numbers. They're only counting certain kinds of death. If you were fighting with the American army and you killed somebody, they don't count that. If you were fighting Sunni against Sunni, they don't count that. If you're fighting Shia against Shia, they don't count that. They only count Sunni against Shia to the back of the head, not anything to the front of the head, and not those other intra-sectarian deaths that I've just uh, enunciated for you. A billion people died on the news tonight But not so many cried at the devil's side well, Mama said, it's just make-believe You can't believe everything you see So baby, close your eyes to the lullabies On the news tonight Who's the one to decide that it would be alright? Put the music behind the news tonight Well, Mama said You can't believe everything you hear The diegetic world is so unclear So baby, close your ears On the news tonight Today, today it finally happened, we hear the report from the very model of the modern general and chief propagandist for the Bush crime family. He and Ambassador Crocker, there he was, uh, and did you see the ad in the New York Times today, General Betrayus, huh? was that cool, moveon.org, great, great ad. He and Ambassador Crocker, few we are oh so very close to victory in Iraq, if only 
Those pesky anti-war naysayers would just get out of the way and give them unlimited time and money and soldiers and Marines and please stop looking over my shoulder. Just let me continue with the killing. Uh, That's what they said once Congress got the microphones working. What a dog and pony show. Oh, my God. And what a boring one at that. Did you watch any of it? I tried. I swear to God, I tried to watch this. I watched that psychopath Duncan Hunter begin it all by immediately accusing Democrats of aiding and abetting bin Laden, I guess. The most exciting part ended a few moments after the testimony began when Code Pink protesters were ushered out of the hearing room. Cindy Sheehan would be congresswoman among them. Can't have any of that. I'll tell you who else was uh, ushered out of the room, too, was Ray McGovern, uh, former uh, CIA um, honcho who decided that taking the blue pill was a big mistake, took the red pill, came out of the ether, and has been raising hell against these Nazis ever since. We'll, we'll, we'll have... Uh, we'll have uh, the the report from Ray McGovern coming up here in a few moments. It was awful. It was awful. Our our North Metro Atlanta uh, correspondent, military expert Sharon, had uh, sent me a, a blog from McClatchy newspaper shortly after the uh, Code Pink uh, women were dragged out of the hearing, and uh, this is the way McClatchy newspapers were. Uh, we're reporting about 30 minutes into the hearing when Republicans got their first chance to speak. Representative Duncan Hunter, Republican California, <laughs> criticized Democrats and some liberal groups who questioned whether Petraeus was speaking for himself or for the White House. Oh, please. Hunter said that what particularly irritated him was a moveon.org ad in the New York Times today that used to play on Petraeus's name. Petraeus, Petraeus, <laughs> get it? Hunter demanded that the hearing get off to a clear start, expressing confidence in Petraeus. That's how he wanted to start it. And then Ike Skelton, the uh, Democratic chairman, responded slowly and emphatically. I think Ike Skelton responds that way because that's the way he talks. Oh, my God. I was watching Ike Skelton. And, and I, you know, when I first saw him, I, c- I couldn't believe it. I thought, what, is this a commercial? Uh, have we cut away from CNN for a commercial for some sort of laxative or something? Who is this guy? And then I realized, no, 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 come on. That's, uh, that's Ike Skelton. But he responded slowly and emphatically when he said, let it be understood that the capability, the integrity, the intelligence, and the wisdom of our two witnesses require nothing but admiration from me and those of us who are about to receive their testimony. We expect their best judgment, and we will receive it. End quote. Now, if, if you want to know how whorish, no offense to sex workers, the Democratic Party has become, how willing they are to roll over for, well, George W. Bush. How disinterested the Democratic Party leadership is in 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 becoming a, a the majority party, in being a party determined to stop this. All you have to do is listen to Ike Skelton's statement. There it all is. Now Ray McGovern, all Ray McGovern said, and and he he blogged this at consortiumnews.com. Swear him in, McGovern writes. That's all I said in the usual silence this afternoon as first aid was being administered to General David Petraeus's microphone. It had dawned to me that when House Armed Service Committee Chairman Ike Skelton invited Petraeus to make his presentation, Skelton forgot to ask him to take the oath to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I had no idea that asking, swear him in, would get me thrown out of the hearing. I had a flashback to a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing in early 2006 when Senator Patrick Leahy reminded Chairman Arlen Specter 
that Specter had forgotten to swear in the witness, Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez, and how Specter insisted that that would not be necessary. <laughs> now, that may or may not be an invidious comparison, but Petraeus and Gonzalez work for the same boss, who has a rather unusual relationship with the truth. How many of his senior staff could readily be convicted, as was the hapless and now commuted Scooter Libby, of perjury? So I didn't think twice about it. I really thought the skeleton perhaps forgotten that the 10-minute interlude of silence while he fixed a microphone was a good chance to raise the seemingly innocent question. Swear him in? The more so since the ranking Republican, that would be Duncan Hunter, had been protesting too much in the obverse of killing the messengers. They, they had canonized the messenger with protective fire. Ranking Armed Service Committee member Duncan Hunter began what amounted to a SWAT team attack on the credibility of those who dared attack the truthfulness of the saint of Petraeus. On the chance that we didn't hear him the first time, Hunter kept repeating how independent Petraeus is, how candid and full of integrity, and compared him to famous generals who testified to Congress in the past, Eisenhower, MacArthur, Schwarzkopf. <laughs> Advisedly, Hunter avoided any mention of William Westmoreland, <laughs> commander of U.S. forces in Vietnam. <laughs> if Petraeus is so honest and full of integrity, what possible objection could he have to being sworn in? With the microphone finally fixed, it quickly became clear. Petraeus tried to square a circle in his very first two paragraphs. In the first, he thanks the committee for the opportunity to, quote, discuss the recommendations I recently provided to my chain of command for the way forward, end quote. Then he stretches credibility and credulity beyond the breaking point, at least for me. He says, quote, at the outset, I would like to note that this is my testimony. Although I have briefed my assessment and recommendations to my chain of command, I wrote this testimony myself. It has not been cleared nor shared with nor anyone in the Pentagon, the White House, or our Congress. Is not the commander-in-chief in Petraeus's chain of command? As Harry Truman would have said, does he think we were born yesterday? Dun, 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 Yeah, it was, uh, it was an absolute, complete farce, joke, it was an insult to the American public. It was uh, it, it was worse than that to the Iraqi public. show is produced with the help of the members of the best of the left community you too can be a part of the show and we would love your help you can submit information about great clips you've heard volunteer to help edit these clips for the show or actually become an occasional guest producer for more information please visit the community at bestoftheleftpodcast.com Now let's get back to General Petraeus. So after all of this, he does the, he comes in, there's the theatrics, the protesters shout, the uh, congressmen give their speeches, he's in the House, uh, Crocker and Petraeus give their speeches, and we'll give you the quotes from that in a second. Um, what was the final result? What did General Petraeus, the legendary Petraeus, uh, tell the American people? Uh, what is his uh, recommendations, and what is his analysis? Okay, number one. I hope you're sitting down for this. Buckle up. It turns out his analysis is the surge is working. 
No! Really? I didn't see that one coming. Wow. Huh. And he says, get this, get this. Oh, I really, okay, everybody, hold on to something, because this is, you're going to fall over when you hear this. It turns out he says he needs more time. No! Really? You need more time? Boy, I really didn't see that one coming. Okay. Wow. It's a big shocker to me. Okay. So, <laughs> what does he need the more, t more time for? Okay. He needs the more time for uh, to make sure that uh, the, uh, since the sectarian fighting is down, which is a lie, uh, that we give the Iraqi government more space to come to an agreement. But General Petraeus, you, that's what you told us six frickin' months ago when you said you need the surge so they could have breathing space to come to an agreement. And ha have they come to an agreement since then? Uh, well, blah, 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 blah. No, no, nothing. No agreement at all. They didn't meet any, they didn't met, they, did, they failed to meet 15 out of the 18 benchmarks, failed, all the political ones. They don't have any deals, so you're going to come here and you're going to ask for, guess what, what he's asking for? Give me another six months and another year. So he, what, he, he, what I'm calling his fake withdrawal plan. So what it is is, uh, okay, you know, you little Democrats and you American people, let's amuse, I, I'll amuse myself by pretending to give you something that you want and pat you on the head and kick you in the ass and be done with you. So... Uh, what we'll do is we'll withdraw 4,000 people before December. <laughs> what do you frickin' do? 4,000 people. They're set to go home anyway, and they don't have anybody to replace them. Right? So they're going to withdraw a whole 4,000. And then he says by the next summer, summer of 2008, that's a year from now. A year from now, he says, well, we might be able to get the pre-surge numbers. You see what happened there? See, this is what I'm talking about. This is what the Republicans understand politically and the Democrats still don't get. Man, you have to proceed from strength. George Bush came in after the November 2006 election when the Republicans got their ass handed to them and the American people said, all right, it's time to go. Iraq's a failure. We've got to get out of there because your strategy isn't working and it isn't going to work. So what did Bush say? No, I'm going to go the other way. Instead of getting out, I'm going to add more troops. And he changed the whole tenor of the conversation to should we add more troops or should we not, rather than should we subtract troops? And it was, politically speaking, it's a, and a, propaganda-wise and PR-wise and marketing-wise, it's genius. Because all we've ever talked about since then is not withdrawal, but the surge. Is the surge working? Should we keep the extra troops or should we not keep the extra troops? So what General Petraeus is telling us is, hey, 18 months after the November 2006 elections, we might... If you're all good boys and girls, we might get it to the condition where it was in the November 2006 election. That is unbelievable. They changed the whole tenor of the debate. They, made, they had this strategy for 18 months to run out the clock and to make sure that George Bush leaves office while we're still in Iraq. So what did they do? They shoved 30,000 more troops into Iraq, put them in harm's way with no plan, and right now, they come back and they report, yes, we've had no success in politically getting the Iraqis back together. So our strategy, forget the tactics, our strategy is a failure. But what we want is a whole nother year, and then maybe, maybe, we'll withdraw the extra troops that we brought in. The whole thing is a lie. The whole thing is a ruse. Have the Democrats caught on? <laughs> All right, we're going to get to that in a second. 50-50. 50-50. I got encouraged yesterday at some point. Hey, look, by the way, you know, people who get on me for getting on the Democrats, I'm dying to give them credit. Any story where they seem that they've got any kind of strength, I hold on for dear life. I read it thoroughly. I read it twice. I'm like, oh, that's great. Okay, there, okay, here comes the fight. Right? Uh, but then you read the next story, and it turns out they're keeping their powder dry. <laughs> that's the driest powder in the history of mankind.
Time now to turn to our own Howard Feynman, senior Washington correspondent for Newsweek magazine. Howard, good evening. Good evening, Keith. Did the Petraeus Crocker appearance today accomplish what the administration wanted it to? Sure it did. It, it got the whole world to focus on those reports which uh, stated the obvious, which was essentially that this administration is going to continue the policy it launched with the invasion in 2003. Uh, that's what this was about. And more narrowly, it was about trying to shore up Republican support. Forget the country as a whole. They've lost the country. But Republican support to keep Republicans from defecting. And I think there was just enough in the report, just enough plausible, just enough statistics to, so that Republicans could hang their hats and not bolt. To quote the general this afternoon, the security goals of the surge are being met, a decline in sectarian violence, a decline in overall civilian deaths. If things in Iraq are actually as great as General Petraeus and his charts claimed, should we not be wondering why U.S. forces can't start withdrawing immediately, relatively soon at least, or if at minimum the goal is not for next year withdraw more than we had added for the surge? Well, Keith, the answer to that question was contained in the answers given by Ryan Crocker, the ambassador sitting next to the general. And Ryan Crocker said essentially there's been no political progress whatsoever, meaning there's no real government in Iraq, and the place will fall apart if we pull out too many troops. That's the answer to the question. So, uh, all right, either we're, we're losing so badly politically that we have to keep the troops there, or we're winning so well militarily that we, we can't risk um, leaving. The, whenever the administration puts out an argument, wherever it fits on the spectrum against all its previous arguments, it always has the same result, does it not, that we must remain in Iraq indefinitely. Why is this still playing politically? Well, it's not really playing politically except, as I said, to the narrow Republican base, which if you look at the numbers in the United States Senate, and that's the bottom line, uh, the Democrats can't override a veto or probably can't end a filibuster by Republicans. George Bush knows that. He's back-timed everything to that. That's been a strategy from the beginning. As I said, just enough progress on the military front, just enough promise of just enough troops beginning to come home to prevent a massive revolt uh, by his own party in Congress. That's what he's aiming for. And don't forget, George Bush doesn't have a vice president running for the Republican nomination that he has to protect politically. Dick Cheney isn't running for anything, so they're holed up with their strategy and they're going to keep it. By my count, there are at least nine different rationales that have been offered for the war from the beginning. They all have the same bottom line. The maximum number of American troops in Iraq by the time George Bush leaves on January 20th, 2009. One egregious thing that happened that did not involve the general per se that I wanted to ask you about, instead of weighing the merits of the Petraeus testimony, the Republican presidential candidates put out statements criticizing MoveOn.org for its uh, General Petraeus or General Betraeus ad today. The ranking Republicans in their opening statements at the joint hearing this afternoon did the same thing. Congressman Hunter saying attacking the messenger was outrageous, not to defend that phraseology. But has anybody noticed that the administration and the Republicans in Congress, and specifically Mr. Hunter of California, have spent the length of this war doing nothing but attacking the messenger when they did not like the messenger's message about Iraq? Well, look, the Republicans on the committee today needed anything they could get their hands on to try to take the offense. That's the best they could do, which was to attack the left wing of the Democratic Party. Uh, they think they can divide the Democratic Party. I don't really think they can. Uh, the Democratic Party is going to be the anti-war party come the 2008 election, no matter what happens here. I don't think this is the most important week that we've seen politically. I think all of this is a show that really is a prelude to what has already begun, which is the 2008 campaign. The Democrats are going to be the anti-war party, no matter what the Republicans try to do to, to divide them. So, uh, later rather than sooner on that for the Democrats. Uh, Howard Feynman of Newsweek and MSNBC. As always, Howard, great thanks. Thank you, Keith.
to figure out whether or not our strategy in Iraq is working, whether there are signs of progress or perhaps forces there beyond our control. The time to do that hasn't been right, but I, f I feel it coming. All of Washington is waiting for the progress report that comes in mid-September from General Petraeus. Yes, yes, hang on. It's don't change strategy yet. Wait. Wait! General Petraeus's report. Well, we're going to have to wait to see what General Petraeus has to report. Oh. I'm just obviously holding out until we hear from General Petraeus. Oh. I'm going to wait for David to come back, David Petraeus to come back. Oh. We've been hearing about it for months, and now the time has finally arrived. No. Petraeus! Petraeus! Too much buildup? Perhaps you like your war reports with more of an androgynous Austrian new wave beat. But wait! By the way, that song, one of Falco's top five hits. But, but wait! While this man, this general, clearly named for the Greek god of progress assessing, his powers have not always been so great, this Petraeus. For instance, six weeks before the 2004 presidential election, General Petraeus wrote a Washington Post op-ed about the Iraq war that was so upbeat, you would have thought the insurgency was in its last throes. I certainly hope that one incredibly relevant to the story here mistake won't cause pundits and politicians to be too cautious in their assessments of the general. He is a determined, resourceful, and bold commander. He is remarkable. Most talented person I've ever right. met in my life. Right. An incredible soldier. He's delivering the message. It's sober. It's objective. A great American. An expert. A brilliant man. An athlete. Very thoughtful. The heart of a lion. Almost a miracle worker. Yes. It's been said he can turn water into bottled water. He can cause the deaf to heighten their other four senses so they don't miss the hearing so much. You can't really heal the hearing. The hearing is a very tough situation. It's really not his fault. <laughs> and now, ladies and gentlemen, the man who brings confidence and success wherever he goes, General David Petraeus! General David Petraeus, the floor is yours. It appears the Iraq war has hit its first glitch. <laughs> well, while we're waiting, is this mic working yet? Can we check on that? Is there... Oh, I see they're still working out some, some technical problems. Still waiting? Well, I guess while we're waiting, we can do a, a few Iraq Fox facts while we're doing that. It's, uh, the war costs $2 billion a week. Four million Iraqis have been displaced. Two million have fled to other countries. I think we have the general now. Can we check back and see? No, nothing. It just it's not getting. Let's see. Ah, over 30,000 American casualties. That's wounded and dead. Very. Wait, I think. At the outset, yes. I would like to note. Okay, we're back. Let's go to the general right now. I wrote this testimony myself. It has not been cleared by nor shared with anyone in the Pentagon the White House or the Congress. To prove I'm not the White House lackey, I need only read the first word of my report. Dingleberry. 
You think, you think if they had read that, they'd have let me do that? No. The general raises a key point. We keep hearing from President Bush how the surge is meeting its military objectives, but we need more time. Well, yesterday, the good general was whistling a different tune. The military objectives of the surge are, in large measure, being met. It will take time. My God. The president's been right the whole time. Even down to the details. U.S. Marines and Special Operation Forces have been striking terrible blows against al-Qaeda. Coalition and Iraqi forces have dealt significant blows to al-Qaeda. Anbar province was al-Qaeda's base in Iraq and was written off by many as lost. A year ago, the province was assessed as lost. The consequences of withdrawal would be disastrous. A premature drawdown of our forces would likely have devastating consequences. Wow. I bet they're friends on MySpace. <laughs> By the way, this wasn't just a guesses and estimations type thing. The general had hard data, backed up his arguments with real numbers, charts of sectarian death, graphs of car bombs, tables of troop levels. Because it's an important reminder that our troops and the Iraqis aren't just fathers, sons, mothers, and sisters. They're also statistics. <laughs> remember that still the general had a cautionary word for those who are impatient with the surge our experience in iraq has repeatedly shown that projecting too far into the future is not just difficult it can be misleading and even hazardous don't criticize the surge because no one can know what's going to happen unless you're talking about not sticking with the surge a rapid withdrawal would result in disintegration of the iraqi security forces rapid deterioration of local security initiatives, Al-Qaeda Iraq regaining lost ground, a marked increase in violence, further ethno-sectarian displacement, and exacerbation of already challenging regional dynamics, especially with respect to Iran. <laughs> that's what happened when we went into Iraq. <laughs> Wait a minute, going in is the same as leaving? My God, it's a wormhole! <laughs> We can't do it! It's a Mobius strip! If you go in, if you go in, it's a disaster. If you leave, it's a disaster. MC Escher, help me! objectives of the surge are in large measure being met okay so how about the political objectives oh those aren't being met at all and so the whole military objectives are pointless even though you're lying about the military uh, part as well I mean see here's the thing you got a hundred and five congressmen in the room a hundred and five and now as to my knowledge not one of them asked hey listen what does the Anbar province success have anything to do with the surge since there our troops aren't doing the fighting the local uh, Sunnis are. And can you tell me why you said six months ago that we had already started that process and now you're connecting it to the surge? Are there any, is there anybody in Washington that knows anything, that knows what they're doing, that has a brain that could actually challenge this uh, general? Can any of the senators to it today, instead of sp making speeches, Biden's in the room. You know what he's going to do. He's going to give a speech for 20 minutes and not ask a single question. 
Okay? Can somebody ask the man a question? Say, hey, what does the Anbar province have anything to do with the surge? Ah, well, good luck to us. Clip number five. Coalition and Iraqi operations have helped reduce ethno-sectarian violence as well, bringing down the number of ethno-sectarian deaths substantially in Baghdad and across Iraq since the height of the sectarian violence last December. Not true. Flat out not true. How many stories do we have to show you where we, there's the actual numbers? We showed you the LA Times story. The number, the violence has gone up in the last two months. The Washington Post story, it's higher in February, it's higher today than it was in February. Uh, in the, towards the beginning of the surge. Uh, every number for every month is higher this year than it was in 2006. And then when he broke it down, I was like, what? okay, how is he going to justify it? That's what I was curious about, because the numbers aren't true. So how is he going to justify it? He broke it down in number of weeks. So this is funny, man. I mean, if it wasn't sick, it'd be funny. So he shows a graph. He's like, you see, in this week, the violence went up. But the next week, it went down. Next week, it went up. Next week it went down, and then it went down again. So three out of five weeks, the violence went down. Well, how about the weeks where it went up? Oh, yeah, it was tremendous. <laughs> and if you total it all up, it's higher than it was last year. It's higher from when the surge began. But I've got, found a couple of weeks where it wasn't so bad. I mean, that's downright comical, man. And that's insulting our intelligence. Yet apparently it's not insulting the Democratic intelligence because they're like, oh, oh, look at that, it's a graph. Yeah. Now, to be fair, some of the Democrats came at him hard. Hopefully we'll get a share, chance to share that with you as well. Uh, all right, so uh, he does this. And by the way, you know what his, the best results were? He's like, oh, and nobody's seen these numbers. The last two weeks, the ones that can't be confirmed by anybody else, the ones that I pulled out of my ass, the last two weeks have been great. <laughs> Come on, man. It's a sick joke. Now get a load of Ambassador Crocker. We saved the best for last year. Yeah. All right, listen, listen to when we're going to have victory here in Iraq. There will be no single moment at which we can claim victory. Any turning point will likely only be recognized in retrospect. Oh, that's great. I mean, the man's just telling you, you're never going to have victory. You're going to have endless war, and we're just going to keep on calling it progress, and then a year later say, oh, yeah, what we were doing a year ago was total BS. Now we got to figure it out. Give us another six months. Give us another year. And are we ever going to have victory? Nope. It just says it to you. We're never going to have victory in Iraq. If the Democrats don't get withdrawal out of Iraq, then you should have no respect for them. Young Turks. Um, today from Petraeus' testimony is that maybe if all goes well by next year, maybe summer sometime of next year, maybe we can have U.S. troop, US, U.S. troop levels in Iraq that are what they were for the last four years. Huh? Yeah, that was the big headline today. I believe that we will be able to reduce our forces to the pre-surge level of brigade combat teams by next summer without jeopardizing the security gains that we have fought so hard to achieve. Petraeus's big headline today is that the so-called surge has been successful enough in his eyes that maybe the surge can end sometime next year, maybe. I'm looking at CNN.com right now. The live headline at CNN.com is Petraeus, colon, Troop surge could end by July 08. You know, step back from this a second, though, and remember what the surge was for. The success of the surge was not supposed to result in the end of the surge. The success of the surge was supposed to result in the end of the war, the end of us occupying Iraq. That's why this is a smokescreen. The Petraeus smokescreen is designed to make us think that the debate at hand is 170,000 troops versus 130,000 troops. 
surge versus no surge. The, the, the Petraeus smokescreen is designed to make us think that the big decision facing us as a nation is whether we ought to go back to the pre-surge levels of troops. It's an attempt to try to take ending the war off the table as an option or even a point of discussion. It's an attempt to get us bogged down in fighting over how many tens of thousands of Americans will be in Iraq versus the question of whether Americans should be in Iraq at all. Now, Richard Clark, the former counterterrorism czar in the U.S. government, um, nailed it, I think, in a, in a video that was put out by the National Security Network uh, as a pre-buttle to General Petraeus's testimony. And um, we're going to be joined by Rand Beers, who's the head of the National Security Network, in just a moment. He's going to be joining us live. In this pre-buttle that they put out, though, I think Clark goes right to the heart of the matter. And he calls the question of why we're even, why we're even bothering to get this testimony. Why we have been led into the idea that these are the relevant questions to be asking right now. If we keep troops in a given area, a lot of troops in a small area, uh, we can achieve security in that area. Well, duh, of course we can. You know, the United States military, which is costing us half a trillion dollars, ought to be able to do that. That's not the issue. The issue is why the hell are we there in the first place? The issue is why the hell are we there in the first place? Ding! Not how long should the extra troops sent on top of our existing 130,000 base level of troops be there? But why the hell are we there in the first place? That is the question. And the Petraeus smokescreen is designed to make us think that the big debate we're having as a nation right now, the big Republicans versus Democrats debate that needs to be sorted out, that we all need to come to blows over, is 170,000 troops versus 130,000 troops. They're trying to make it seem like those are the two options. All the Petraeus Schmetraeus detail today on the marginal effectiveness of the extra troops that were sent in on top of our baseline occupying force of 130,000 people is a smokescreen, which you have guilt-free permission to ignore. It's a blindfold kickback type of a game called the Kansas City Shuffle. Where's look left, they fall right into Kansas City Shuffle. It's a they think you think you don't know type of Kansas City hustle Where you take your time, wait your turn, and hang them up and out you And regarding the, the, the hearings today, uh, you know, when uh, when the uh, staff of the Malloy program, all both of us, had ha- had our uh, usually three o'clock uh, production meeting about what we're going to do that night. You know, you know, Kathy said, well, all right, what do you want? What, what should I get at Petraeus? What part of this? I said, what? Nothing. There's nothing there. I'm not going to put this crap on the program tonight. There's nothing that he said today, or that any of these clowns on this joint committee, dear God, they had two committees there. And not one of them sat there and said, you lying son of a bitch, did any of them talk about the refugees? Did any of them talk about the death and the destruction? Were there any questions about how much water uh, people in, uh, in, in, in Baghdad can draw out of their faucets that's drinkable every day? Nothing. I thought I was going to scream five or six times today. What are they talking about? And how many American soldiers, uh, we don't care about the Iraqis, how many American soldiers died? And the time it took Petraeus to take off all of his body armor and get on a C-130 or whatever the hell he flies on and make his way to uh, this hearing. How many Americans died? How many more are going to die? And as uh, Keith Olbermann said tonight, this this talk about reducing the uh, number of soldiers there by 30,000 after we've increased it by 30,000, what a sham. What a joke that is. That's like a, a, a 25% off sale at your local department store after they've raised the prices 25%. This is This is obscene. This is sick. But, you know, so what, Malloy? It's going to continue. 
This war is going, this occupation is going to continue. You know what I predict? Five years. Five years. Maybe more. Until Iraq is a, it completely a failed state, completely, like Afghanistan, where maybe there might be one or two cities, as there are in Afghanistan, that function. That's it. And this huge half trillion dollar, uh, or is it? No, it's not that expensive. Half a billion dollar uh, U.S. embassy that is so big, like the Great Wall of China, can be seen from space when it's completed. This fortress so that we can begin the extraction of Iraq's oil. <sighs> Let me tell you something, truth seekers. It's about time you and I faced a very hard truth. Okay? Listen to me. Listen to me very closely, very carefully. We are not going to pull out of Iraq. It's not going to happen this year or next year. Or probably not even five years from now. This is a permanent situation. It's going to go on. This is like the Israelis and the Palestinians. This is going to go on and on and on. Do you hear me? We are never going to pull out all of our troops and get the hell out of a place in which we don't belong. It's not going to happen. Have you... I mean, surely you've, you've come to that conclusion, too. Uh, yeah, it tramples all your hope. It tramples all of my hope. Uh, it, it just bloodies every, every promise I thought uh, these Democrats had made to me in the run-up to the 06 election. These cowardly Democrats, these rotten bastards, do you think these people are going to do anything to get us out? What are they going to do? They will not take the political risk. The only power that Congress has left is to defund this war, to make it end, to, to, to provide enough money to protect our troops as they withdraw, as they get the hell out. And they will not do it. Democrats will not do it because Democrats are cowardly. They have been beaten into a bloody pulp. They are like a battered spouse, and George Bush is the bully. And they continue, and they will continue. And it doesn't make any difference who is the next president. It doesn't make any difference how many seats the Democrats wind up with in the House and the Senate. This war, this occupation, is going to go on and on and on for the foreseeable future. You want to bet? Huh? Even when they have the White House and a majority in the House of the Senate, the Democrats still are not going to end this war. And you know what the proof of the pudding is on that? Because they could do it now. They could have done it a year ago when they were in the minority. They could have done it two years ago. They could have done it three years ago. They will not do not count on the Democratic Party. Let's get to uh, the point here. Republican Senator John Warner of Virginia, who incidentally is retiring, during the Senate Armed Services Committee hearing on Tuesday, September 11th, asked uh, General Petraeus, hey, you know this huge, uh, massive occupation we're involved in that's costing 
at least a trillion dollars and 3,800 uh, U.S. military lives and counting and 30,000 injured and counting and killed now anywhere from 650,000 to 1.2 million Iraqi civilians and displaced 4 million Iraqis in a country that has a population of 25 million. Is this uh, making us safer? This is number nine. If we continue what you have laid before the Congress here as a strategy, do you feel that that is making America safer? Sir, I believe that this is indeed the uh, best uh, course of action uh, to achieve our objectives in Iraq. Does that make America safer? Sir, I don't know, actually. I have not sat down and sorted out in my own mind. Uh, what I have focused on and been riveted on is how to accomplish the mission of the multinational for Iraq. This is a stunning admission. A stunning admission. Think about how basic this question is. Senator Warner, a Republican, has just asked General Petraeus, who is suggesting that we maintain, essentially, at least 130,000 troops in Iraq until my two-year-old daughter graduates high school. Maybe it's 160,000, maybe 170,000. And Senator John Warner asked this man, is it worth it? I don't know. You know, I kind of don't blame him in a way, Sam. I mean, if, if you were in charge of this mess, would you want to think about the big picture all the time? I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. Uh, but I suppose if I was going to advocate continuing uh, down this road, if I was going to advocate doing something, I would keep in mind the end goal. I mean, that's the end goal, isn't it? Yeah. To further U.S. security interests, to keep us safe from the terrorists, to maintain our, uh, our uh, U.S. dominance or whatever it is, whatever calculation he has. But just to have that in the back of his head all the time, like, is this worth it? No. So you're suggesting that the reason why he couldn't say he couldn't say yes is because he's been ignoring the question because he knows the answer. Yes. Now, apparently. Denial is useful. Yeah, exactly. Apparently somebody got to him because a couple of questions later he said, uh, if, you don't, if you don't mind, I'd like to take a redo. I do think it's worth it. Yes, I do. I actually I know I said I don't know. But you know when he says, I don't know, you know what he's really saying? When General David Petraeus says, I don't know if this is making us safer. What he's really saying is, no. No, I don't think it is. But I can't say that here in this forum. And the last shred of integrity that lies deep within inside me when caught off guard, can only respond, I don't know. But that'll go away once I get a phone call from the White House saying I just lost Republican establishment support for my 2012 presidential bid, which apparently the IPS uh, has reported uh, he's been talking about for quite some time. But in that naked moment, when that question that he did not expect to come up, particularly from a Republican, that's why he got nailed here. What, you're a Republican? You're questioning the entire premise of this complete farce that we're engaged in? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's worth it. Unbelievable. Just, just despicable. That's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of Best of the Left Podcast. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week with a brand new show for you guys. Take care. Bye. Thought lines now black and white. You took apart a picture that wasn't right.